All right, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is another episode of the Today with Trey podcast. I am here with a special guest, Seth Kaiser of The Athletic. How's it going? It is going really well, man. How are you today? I am doing great. Um, right now, it's a Saturday as we're recording this. Chiefs play the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. It's supposed to be really cold because it was 13 degrees this morning. So, <laughs> Really cold. That's adorable. <sighs> well, you're in Minnesota, so yeah, I, I can. I can, I can see uh, where you got, you got us trumped on the, on the cold factor there. I, I do. It's one of the few things we're good at is really cold temperatures and saying, you know, a lot. So yeah. those, are, those are the two things we do well. Uh, yeah, I had an old boss. He's from uh, South Dakota. So like anytime I find somebody from Minnesota or South Dakota, it's like, I can just hear his voice in my head. And how he says, <laughs> yes, we do all sound very similar. It's frightening yeah. actually. Um, uh, well, we're going to mostly talk about the defense, a little bit about the offense that is effectively probably the best offense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, where I wanted to start the Chiefs after week one and two against the Chargers where they gave up, I believe, 27 points, and then they gave up 33, 32 against the Pittsburgh Steelers in week two. Mm-hmm. They've essentially been on an upward trend as far as points per game, and that's including sure. the 43 points uh, New England scored against them. Is this is it an anomaly? Is it a result of, you know, guys getting better, uh, getting more familiar with each other on the defensive end? I would say the, the, the correct answer is yes. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it an anomaly, but part of it, it, it's about who you play. It's important to keep in mind as, as the season's gone along, the Chiefs played the uh, two of the best five offenses in the league back-to-back in the first two games of the season. Um, the, the Chargers and the Steelers both have exceptional offenses. Additionally, well, and then it's additionally worth noting with regards to the Steelers, I actually just rewatched that game. The Steelers had some some luck there. You know, the Chiefs, you know, they handed them points with a safety. They also handed them the ball back with that safety on just the most ridiculous play call from the one-yard line. They also handed them the ball back uh, with Chris Conley's fumble. They also allowed a possession and removed the Chiefs' touchdown with the Chris Jones fumble touchdown recovery that wasn't so there's a lot that happened in that Pittsburgh game it was essentially three different possessions gifted to them and so that, that's worth noting um it's worth noting the Patriots played essentially nearly a perfect offensive game against the Chiefs and you know with regards to that 43 so what you're seeing is partly the defense is just playing teams that aren't top five and you're going to have better results. But additionally, I don't think the defense was ever as bad as it looked. I think they were just playing great offenses early, getting their feet underneath them. Uh, Another thing that's happened is you're seeing the inclusion of Dorian O'Daniel into the game plan. You're seeing that that has a very large effect on what's been happening with opposing running backs, which is a real issue early on, especially out of the backfield. So the, the correct answer to me is partly it's partly luck in terms of who they're playing, but also the defense is just getting better. The corners are playing better. The safeties are playing better. The pass rush has improved um, from what it was the first week or two. And overall, I, I think the hope is maybe they'll look somewhat average by the time the season's over. So, yeah, um, I know – a lot of people have been clamoring for Dorian O'Daniel to get snaps, especially I think, it, I think it really started after the new England game when, you know, going into that game, you knew like the Patriots were going to take advantage of James White out of the backfield as they do essentially every single week against everybody. Right. But then like when you got done with the game, you didn't punt and didn't have a penalty. They had one penalty, but it wasn't accepted. <laughs> uh, 
And so when Anthony Hitchens is out there trying to cover James White, and then he looks, it just doesn't look right out there. And then you're like, okay, right. Terrence Smith isn't, according to PFF standards, Terrence Smith isn't good enough to get it done. So why not just throw Doran or Daniel out there? And, mm-hmm. you know, he's been, he's had, you know, some, obviously some rookie mistakes, you know, not knowing the coverage, not what coverage he's in. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's been basically just go get, you're covering the running back, go get the running back. And he's done a good job at that. Um, right. As far as the pass rush goes, Chris Jones has a sack in five straight games heading into the Arizona game. Justin Houston is returning from hamstring injury. D4 is top three in the NFL in sacks, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I saw your article on those three. I mm-hmm. haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I saw you had your article on those three and what they can mean going forward mm-hmm. as far as the pass rush goes and how it helps hold defense. Like, What does those three healthy and producing do for this defense? Sure. So the main, the main point of that article is the idea of complementary pass rush. So last year, Chris Jones and Justin Houston – there's, there's kind of a, a misconception out there that they were bad last year. They weren't. The problem is you had two good pass rushers and then a bunch of, of negatives all across the line. Once Ford got hurt and Ford wasn't playing all that well to begin with last year, you didn't have any other good pass rushers. And not even not good pass rushers, not even average pass rushers. And the problem when you only have two guys that can get after the passer is, one, it's easy for teams to account for that schematically, or at least a lot easier. You know, when it's only two guys, you can slide protection one way while chipping with the running back the other way there's just it's just tougher to get to the quarterback that way additionally even the best pass rushers if you go and chart wins and losses even the very best win maybe a quarter of the time and those are the studs those are the von millers the Khalil max the justin houston's d ford this year they're winning maybe a quarter of the time and i mean it's basic math if you've got two guys that are winning a quarter of the time, even if they never overlap, that's still only half the time you're getting any pressure. So what happens when you add a third guy to the mix? In this case, Justin Houston. Because the pass rush has been okay the last few weeks with, with Houston out. Before that, they were terrorizing guys. You know, the Jacksonville game where Houston got hurt, they were going after Blake Bortles. Um, the, the Niners game, they destroyed Garoppolo consistently. So what happens when you add a third guy into the mix? One, it makes it schematically... Not impossible, but very, very difficult to account for three guys. You can't do it at that point. The whole idea is someone has to be one-on-one. That becomes true. And the second thing is it just increases your mathematical chances. If you've got three guys who are winning 20% of the time, you're that much more likely, you know, math. Even though I think math is evil and I hate it and I went to law school just to avoid it, math matters here. And then the, the final aspect is the idea of, of pressure on the same play. And what, a couple of the plays that I showed in that article are um, both Ford and Houston coming off the edge, but at different levels. And they both win. And the, pro- the thing that a quarterback faces, if he's got pressure from coming from both directions, he can't bail out to either side. And so when you combine all those things, when you get a Justin Houston back, it's not just him. It's, it's the complementary effect that it has on the entire pass rush. So moving forward, I think the Chiefs, because of how good their offense is, the, uh, the idea, I think, moving forward, and I can't climb inside Bob Sutton's head and make him do this. I wish I could. 
I think they should be a pressure-based defense, much like um, what Peyton Manning and the Colts had success with for years. Their defense was pretty bad, but they had Freeney, and then they had Mathis, and you'd get leads, force the other team to throw, and then just send pass rushers. It's the same thing the Denver Broncos did successfully when they had a great offense under Manning. Apparently, the common thread is Peyton Manning. So so moving forward, that's what I'd like to see from them is a pressure-based defense. That makes sense. Uh, I mean, they've done a good job of just getting leads in general, even without Justin Houston or even like the games that they don't, you know, they're not getting a ton of sacks or a ton of pressures. Mm-hmm. I see. It seems like that's the name of the game in the NFL today because Saints, Rams, Chiefs, all getting well over 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. You can just get up on a team. And especially in the Rams and the Chiefs case, you have, I wouldn't say elite pass rushers, but you have, you know, upper echelon pass rushers on your roster that you can just get after the quarterback. Right. And situational football is everything, Um, you know, affecting down and distance, affecting the score, those types of things, those matter a great deal more than most fans realize. We, we, we look at football in a very different light than most NFL coaches do because NFL coaches, they've got a series of options for certain scores and certain downs and distances. Situational football plays a gigantic role. And if you're up 14, that's an entirely different ball game than being up seven even. So I, I, and plus let's face it, the defense, this is not going to be a great defense in all, in all likelihood. Even if Eric Berry walks through that door tomorrow, I still don't think it'll be a great defense. There's just a few too many issues in the middle of the field. However, although that would help and that would be nice. But anyway, I think that the biggest thing they can do is just be an aggressive defense. Take a few shots, understand that you're going to give up some big plays, but also you're going to make a few big plays and that'll be enough with this offense. All you need to do with this Chiefs offense is stop two or three drives by the opponent. That's it. That's it. And then the offense will hang 36 and we'll call it a day. That's it. Um, The Chiefs' new acquisition, Kendall Fuller, Mm -hmm. last week against um, the Cleveland Browns, two catches on six targets, 18 yards. Right now, the last couple weeks, has been the number two cornerback or in PFF. And the Chiefs are one of four teams to have two corners in the top 18 in pro football focuses grading. Is that uh, yeah. Nelson, Nelson and Fuller? Nelson, yes, yes, yep. Nelson and Fuller. Uh, Nelson is number 12, I believe, and Fuller is number 18. Okay. Fuller has been, I wouldn't say struggled, but, you know, there were some ups and downs earlier in the season. But now he looks like the guy that the Chiefs traded for. And, and now it's like, do the Chiefs really miss Marcus Peters? Because I feel like me personally, back when the Chiefs had Marcus Peters, you had an elite cornerback that, you know, would shut down effectively half the field, but then you, but then you had average to below average on the other side of the field, and you could absolutely they could just attack that other side of the field and not have to worry about anything. Now you have Scandrick, you have Orlando Scandrick, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Nelson, you have Kendall Fuller, all playing at an average to above average rate, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's better than just having elite and then below average on one side. Oh, absolutely. Um, with with corner. It is really a numbers game. Uh, You can have a fantastic corner on one side of the field, but if you don't have at least another decent corner, and in today's NFL, you need three at least, ideally four. 
I mean, if you look at the Chiefs, I mean, how often do you see the Chiefs play empty sets? You really are – that fourth corner is probably going to see the field unless you do what the Chiefs do and rotate in a bunch of different safeties and that kind of thing um, or hybrid players like O'Daniel. I do think the Chiefs' corner position has been one of the strong points of the defense this year, which is a really weird change. Orlando Skandrick was a great signing. You know, as as good a signing as David Amerson was a horrible signing. Um, you know, and I had hopes for Amerson. Then I watched him play. We all did. Yeah, I, I, I watched him at training camp. I was like, you know, he looks pretty good. And then I watched the preseason game. I was like, oh, my God, they can't play that guy. And unfortunately, Skandrick came available. And he, he's, he's like a veteran version of Steven Nelson. He's not a great corner, but he's feisty. He's scrappy. He'll play physical. He tackles hard. He can press. He can play deep. He's not going to make boneheaded mistakes. Probably not going to cover elite receivers very well. But he'll, he'll make them work for it. And that's all you can ask for. And so I think they're better off this year. And, yes, Fuller has been lights out the last couple of weeks. I've gone out of my way to watch him a little bit more. And outside of just, you know, single-handedly stealing four points from the Browns or knocking down a few passes, I mean, his coverage has been unbelievable. My personal opinion is that he was always playing okay. Um, he wasn't playing great. He was playing an average, a little above average level. Um, and they were asking a lot of him. And they yes. still are. I think he's starting to get a little more comfortable in the defense. And to me, if during your adjustment period to a brand new defense, you can play at an average level, that's encouraging. Yes. Yes. Um, I actually talked to a couple of his former teammates in Washington when the, when the deal went down. And they just they could not stop talking about how smart he is. And I think we're starting to see that in terms of some of the plays that he's making. Like when he stop Landry on that 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 two-point uh conversion you saw how quickly he recognized and closed and that's a that, play that's a play that corners they get caught up a lot because you run you know you run a little pick play basically corners get caught up on that a lot and so see it right away go attack make tackles stop him short like that just that just shows you the IQ level that he has absolutely and so I'm I'm excited to see how it goes Moving forward, the Chiefs genuinely, when you look at the defense again, it's not great. And until Hitchens and Raglan start playing better, it's not going to be great because you're going to have a weak spot that yeah. gets picked on. But you see the raw material there with O'Daniel getting playing time. Um, and Sorensen's not a world beater, but he's okay. You can see, you know, there was talk, oh, they're going to be one of the worst defenses in history. That, that talk is largely gone now. And now it's a matter of, well, can they be an average defense? Could they end up being an above-average defense, even a little? And I think they could maybe get there, and cornerback play will be a big part of that. Because like you said, that's really that's very wise. I mean, understanding it's not about who your top corner is. Um, I wish it would have worked out with Marcus Peters in Kansas City. I was, I was irate when that trade yes. went down. Um, I mean, he's really struggled in L.A., but, I mean, that is what it is. Who knows how he'd be playing in Kansas City. Um, but the reality is one through three – they're playing significantly better this year than last year. I have to agree with that. Uh, you mentioned Eric Berry. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you have a literal day to day. Beginning of the season, I was like, okay, when's he going to practice? When's he going to practice? Then we got to week four and five. I was like, you know what? Obviously, the Chiefs are going to take this slow. They're going to do everything they can to make sure it's like he's ready to play. And I have told myself, I'm not going to hit panic button until. <laughs> After the bye week, sure, and the Chiefs say 
he's literally day to day. Because if I hear he's literally day to day after the bye week, then I might hit the panic button. Do you right. see a scenario where Eric Berry returns, at least on a limited basis? Like that's all I'm asking for is a limited basis practice. <laughs> yeah. Do you see a scenario where he comes back to practice after the bye week? What I know based on what people I trust have told me is that the team expects him back. Uh, they, they've been confident about that this whole time. My understanding of it is that they've been more willing to slow play it because of how well the team's doing. Um, but the biggest thing is it's mostly just a, a gutting it out issue. Um, apparently that injury is unbelievably painful. That's what I've read. Yeah. And, and surgery yes. is not, it's, it's, not not top, it's not it's not top of the list because it's a bone spur. So right. you see baseball players that get bone spurs and elbows, you either have them removed or um, you take the plasma and you know, just break it apart. So it's not like something we can just go in and just take this out and get it done. It's Correct. If they have surgery, he's done for the year. Yes. And once they really discovered what it was, it was too late, right? Had they known why the soreness was happening during the offseason, I don't, I don't think he had it then. And so I think the plan, from my understanding, they do plan to have him back. But I, their thought process right now, to the best of my knowledge, is we're winning. And I think they're eyeing a, a hopefully not – waiting until the playoffs but now you know, you're a young guy you might not remember uh bob sanders with the oh with the i remember that. i that was <laughs> I, now i remember bob sanders this is before i like would intently watch football and try to understand sure the sure i would just watch to watch but bob sanders yeah. with ed reed and those guys like th- that was my favorite player yeah. my favorite bob was uh, I mean, sanders was a stud one of the best safeties i've ever seen play unfortunately injuries curtailed his career so i you probably know what i'm talking about you you yeah. know your team's history sanders came back in time for the playoffs. The Colts had a horrendous defense and everyone thought Larry Johnson would run all over them. And with Sanders back, it just didn't happen. And they rode in part him to the Super Bowl. Exactly. She's going to have a first down to the third quarter of that playoff game. I remember that one very intense. That that game was so ugly. And that that team had a ton of warts that I I knew it was coming like a freight train. But what the Chiefs are looking at is – that kind of ending where he can make that kind of impact on the defense down the stretch. I know they're hoping it's before the playoffs because it would have to be. It, you, you can't expect it to, for him to, he hasn't played since week one of last season. Yep. So you, you're you going to, he's going to need, yep. He's going to need a little time. One thing I've noticed uh, is that he's every game, he's on the sidelines sitting there jotting stuff down. Yeah. And my understanding is he's still doing the whole mental reps and practice thing. I trust Eric Berry to work like crazy and to, to, to come back as soon as he's ready. I, I, my thing is, here's, here's my hope with all of this, and this is not an analyst thought. This is a fan thought. Super Bowl's in Atlanta this year. We all, we all know Eric Berry has had something of a fairy tale career with a lot of lowlights too, though, with some of the things yeah. he's had to go through. The perfect ending to all this would be a magical comeback story that culminates with the Super Bowl in his hometown. So that's what I'm hoping yeah. this is all leading <laughs> to. And that. so... That would be something right there. I have no facts to back that up, other than the team is the the team is supremely confident he'll play this year. Um, it's just a matter of when, and so I think after the bye week is a pretty reasonable expectation. I'm not going to panic. 
and, th- and this is me. I'm not going to panic until that first playoff game. If he doesn't play that first playoff game, I really think it could take that long. And I hope it doesn't. But you know what? If, if the worst thing that happens is they show up with a defense that no one has film on because it's completely different because one of their best two players is back, yes, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the it world. It would not be the worst thing. Um, we're going to finish off talking about this offense real quick because it's – You have to. <laughs> I, I don't think I've – I'm like you said, I'm young. So the show on turf was kind of before my time. I was only like six, seven years old. Okay, that's great. You're young. Good for you. No. Um, but from what I've heard and like the numbers that I've seen, mm-hmm. this Chiefs offense is the show on. It's up there with the show on turf and the 2007 Patriots that were mm-hmm. literally unstoppable. They're number three in yards per game. Number one in scoring. Number three in passing. They're thirteenth of rushing. That's probably because just because they got off to a slow start running the football. Right. Is there any way to slow down Patrick Mahomes in this offense? Not that anyone's found, no. Um, I actually did an article on that earlier this year in The Athletic. I got the opinion of analysts from around the league and even a few fans just to kind of see what people would do. And I talked to a lot of guys, you know, over at The Athletic, obviously, we've kind of poached a lot of analysts. Yes. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's become kind of our niche. And I talked to a bunch of them and they just said, there's nothing that they can see on film. And this was after about four weeks, if I recall, three or four weeks. And if, I had a couple of guys say, I need to see a few more weeks. But they said the, the reality is you take the Pittsburgh game, for example. Pittsburgh played every kind of coverage you can think of. They they tried they tried cover three, they tried cover two, they tried single high, they they tried man, they tried every type of zone blitz you can think of. Nothing worked. And the biggest problem, it's not just Mahomes, because he's a real problem when he gets the ball out quick. He's a real problem when you let him run around. He he's just a problem no matter what. But the biggest thing that someone pointed out to me, if you disinclude Mahomes, which is a big deal. And if you disinclude Andy Reid's scheming, which is another huge deal, both of those things yes. are massive advantages. Someone said teams can't practice for the Chiefs because you can't imitate their speed. Most teams don't even have a receiver as fast as Sammy Watkins. Exactly. Let alone Tyreek Hill. Most teams don't have a guy that runs routes. No one has a guy that runs routes like Travis Kelsey. No team has a tight end like that. None. Exactly. And so you just end up in this situation where you're, you're trying to prep for it. But also, you know, Mahomes, now that we're, we bring him back into it, he, he's not only as great, he's unique. And so preparing for him is weird because he does things that no one else does. It's like watch, it's like in the college game when teams are prepared for, you know, the read option and things like that. It's like I can, I can, I can show you these guys on paper. We can, I can pull up the card. We can go up here and line it. But then when Lamar Jackson runs out there and exactly. he's on the keeper and makes your DN miss, I, 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 I saw this all week in practice. But then when we got on the field, it was like I can't, I can't do anything. Right, and it's it's the same thing. It's kind of, I mean, you can't practice for four two speed with Tyreek Hill. You can't really practice for a guy that sheds tackles like Kareem Hunt. You can't practice for a guy that puts the kind of velocity on the ball that Mahomes does or buys as much time. You can't practice for how exhausted you are by the end of the game running around after these guys. I mean, they, they are running track meets out there. And that's why you have like Jalen Ramsey and, and, and Chris Harris Jr. saying, I have never been that tired after a game because they're running back and forth in the motions. They're running these go routes down the field. 
it's just too much. And like you said, it, that's a really good analogy. Like when Lamar Jackson would run that, that read option stuff in college, you can prepare for it all week, but you're not preparing against Lamar Jackson. Exactly. And, and that's the exact problem you have with the Chiefs. The, the pieces are perfect because, again, most teams, they just – they don't have the requisite parts to prep. In fact, no teams do. No teams have all of that. Then you combine that with Andy Reid, who I think is doing the best head coaching job of his career. I can't think of anything. Now we'll see. Wade Phillips, he's the best defensive coordinator in football. Maybe he'll think of something. But Bill Belichick, after a first half where everyone's like, oh my God, he figured out Patrick Mahomes, then the Chiefs hung 31 on them. Exactly. I think, I, the, clo- I think the closest any team has got for a full four quarters was Denver Yeah. in Denver because they continuously had pressure on Mahomes. But they had Bradley Chubbs like really starting to get it going. You have yeah. Von Miller. And they came with a ton of blitzes. Like they were yeah. – I'm going to assume the Denver Broncos in their meetings during the week said, we are just going to get after Mahomes. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens, but we're going to go after him. And I think yeah. some team could do that. But then again, no team had – not a lot of teams have a Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Exactly. And additionally – on the back end, when you watch the all 22 of those Denver games, Denver did a better job in man coverage on Chiefs receivers than any other team has done. Because the only way they got away with all that blitzing, because the Steelers and the Niners blitzed a ton too. Heck, the, the Browns blitzed almost maybe more so than the Broncos did, but they just couldn't hang. And so you have to not only call these blitz packages correctly because that's Mahomes' only real weakness right now. And it's not even really a weakness. It's just he's a young quarterback is he doesn't always ID the blitz correctly. But not. But the problem is even if you get pressure on him, he'll still probably get the ball out. Yeah. And so you handed. <laughs> yeah. He'll, you know, he'll bounce it off his head or something. Exactly. And so you have to have great coverage on the back end too. And that's what Denver has done. Denver, that first game, played the Chiefs almost as well as you can. And, you know, they were playing the Jaguars the next week. And I told some people, I don't think the Jags are going to be as good defensively against the Chiefs as the as the Broncos were because the Broncos played them as well as you can. And they weren't. And they and still so, put up 27. Exactly. And and that's, I mean, and they, the Chiefs in so many games this year, sometimes I wish Andy Reid had a little more of an FU mode to him. Yeah, I've been done. They'll take the foot out the gas. Yeah. It's like, oh, why don't you just hang 60? I've, I've mentioned it. I've mentioned it a couple of times on previous episodes of the podcast. It's like the Chiefs have had – they've had at least three or four opportunities to score 50-plus points on teams. They just haven't done it yet. I, 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 it's so frustrating. I want to watch it so bad. Yeah. It's like Andy Reid doesn't care about breaking records. It's the terrible. Steelers scored 52 on the Panthers on Thursday night. So, yeah. the Chiefs have the Cardinals on Sunday <laughs> – we, we need to top yeah, that. We need to top him, that. It wouldn't hurt him to throw up 53. No. I mean, exactly. I, I would enjoy watching that. I would too. Uh, well, that's all I have for you, Seth. Uh, thank you for your time. Yeah. Um, you're always welcome back on the show. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. This is this was fun. No problem, man. Well, hopefully Eric Gray comes back and the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you have a good one. Thanks. <laughs>